Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm glad you're all here. And we're in Exodus chapter 16. We'll be picking up with verse 27, Exodus 16. And uh, I told you I'd give you a little report on my diet this week. And I uh, remember I was covering that portion in Exodus where he gave them bread in the morning and meat at night. And I said, I think it's from the Lord. So I was going to eat my carb in the morning. Now, I do add a little uh, protein to my carb in the morning. Like you can have an egg or maybe some breakfast meat. You can get what they call chicken sausage and like that. But then for lunch, all I have is uh, fruit and vegetables. That's it. And then for supper, all I have is protein. And a ton of it. I mean, I haven't been hungry at all. I lost five pounds this week. And gain must not. (laughs) But I did lose five pounds this week. And so I'm very excited about it. And, um, you know, maybe it's just for me, and that's okay. Okay, uh, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus Yeshua's name, and how thankful we are for your word, because it allows us to recognize the times in which we're living. Lord, we give you thanks, and we pray that you would bless the teaching of your word this morning. And everything that you've put on my heart to share that would be anointed of the Holy Spirit. And that I truly would not be speaking my words but yours. And so come, I pray, Father in heaven, and minister to each one of us, I ask in Jesus, Yeshua's name. Amen. And amen. You know, it's interesting that there are two major premises that are laid out in the very first chapter of the Bible. The very first book of the Bible, anyway. And that is, number one, that God created the heavens and the earth. And in the school system, it is now illegal to teach creation. Uh, The Scopes trials have been turned completely around. Now it's illegal to teach creation. And also, uh, it tells us in Genesis that he created us, he created them male and female. And now it's becoming illegal to stand on those determinations. And there was a, um, I I think it was in... uh, Idaho, I can't remember exactly what state it was, but it was in a state I was surprised to hear. And uh, there was a father who refused to let his six-year-old dress as a girl. He was a little boy. And uh, he was, they had uh, child abuse charges filed against him for that. And then in California, um, there was a uh, parent that was teaching their uh, children Christian values, teaching them from the Bible, and they were charged for child abuse. So uh, the thing that I'm trying to get at is everything is crazy. You know, there are things like that that point to the time in which we're living. But what we have to look at as believers, you know, I'm going to get gross. It's kind of like, you know, medical things always come into my head. But it's kind of like when a boil comes to a head. I know it's gross. But that's the worst part, right? It comes to a head and the pain and the pressure. But it's at that point that relief is going to come. And the reality is when we see all these things beginning to happen, what does the Bible say? Lift up your head for your redemption is drawing near. Now, one of the things that we have to realize and consider as a church is that when we look at the 70 weeks of Daniel, the 70 weeks of Daniel were given for who? The Jews. For your people, the Jews. And so when it comes to the church, there are other prophecies that are given in relationship to the church. But yet the prophecies of Daniel, especially um, you know the 70 weeks, and then as they're applied in Ezekiel 38, they're meant for the Jews, 
but they are a time signal for us of when the Lord's going to take us out of the world. And the reason I share this is because so many Christians are thinking, well, the rapture has to take place at the last trump on the day of, uh, you know, the Feast of Trumpets, or that it has to happen on this Jewish holiday or this Jewish holiday. I don't think the rapture of the church has to be on any of those days because the rapture of the church is for the church, mostly made up of Gentiles. But Jesus' second coming to earth is going to be totally related to the feast days when he comes and he tabernacles among us. And um, the reason I share this is because so many Christians say, oh, the Feast of Tabernacles has passed, and now I guess the rapture is not going to occur for another year if it does occur. No, it can happen any moment. It could happen any moment. And the reason I share this with you is because there are so many things in the news that we don't hear about in our news. Everything in our news is politics, politics, politics. And the thing we have to understand, that politics is nothing but politics. I mean, really, we have to look at the things that the Lord is showing us concerning, you know, the nearness of his return. There is a uh, organization in Israel, in fact, we have had the blessing of visiting them three times, and it's called the Temple Institute. And what the Temple Institute is, what they do is they're preparing to start sacrificial worship in the building of the third temple that is prophesied by God. You think about in Revelation when John was told to measure the temple. Do you remember that? At that time, the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. So what temple was John instructed to measure? It had to be the third temple. And that's why he said, don't measure that profane place. You'll ask a mosque, you know, that is also in the Temple Mountain. So, so many things like that are, are very interesting when you start looking at Scripture. And the Temple Institute is coming to a place where they're encouraging us, at least trying to make us aware that sacrificial worship is about to begin. We all know, well, maybe you don't all know, but um, a red heifer um, had been born in Israel, and so far, it is passing all inspection. It can't have more than this three or four white hairs on it. And a lot of you are thinking, what's the significance of a red heifer? Well, according to Jewish law, a red heifer has to be burnt, and the ashes of the red heifer are mixed with water, and that's necessary to cleanse the temple and the sacrificial instruments. So that's required. Also, <coughs> there's a, a news uh, if you want to write this down or just remember it, <coughs> excuse me, it's called World Net Daily News from Israel. And this is where you get news that you can find news that you don't find on regular channels because they could care less and they wouldn't believe it anyway. But anyway, for the last day of Hanukkah, Israel has invited 70 nation leaders to come to Israel for what purpose? to dedicate the altar for the third temple. That's very significant, you understand. You see, sacrificial worship, uh, for them to begin their worship, their sacrificial worship, doesn't require the temple to be built. Remember, the first uh, place they sacrificed was in a tabernacle, a tent in the wilderness. They need the altar. They need certain instruments. They already have, if any of you 
have been to the Temple uh, Institute, they have everything. All the wares are there. They have the, you know, the uh, menorah, the, the large menorah that has to sit before the sacrifice, before the altar. They, they even found what they thought was an extinct snail that produces a purple color that's required to dye the robes of the high priest purple. They've even found that. All the instruments for sacrificial worship are there. So now you have this altar that's being, going to be dedicated. And then also in World Net Daily, for the first time since the destruction of the temple, remember in 70 AD, Titus Flavius Vespasian came in and he destroyed the temple in Israel. But since the destruction of that temple, there has not been a high priest until now. And last week, the Sanhedrin has appointed its first high priest since the destruction of the temple. And so you might be thinking, well, what does all this mean? It means we're close. It means the rapture of the church could happen before we leave today. It could happen tonight. It could happen tomorrow. But I don't know the day, and I don't know the hour, but the Bible commands us. Understand, the Bible commands us to be aware of the time, to be aware of the season. And we're in this season. And all you have to do is look at Israel to see that and to know that. And then on top of that, I encourage you people to do this. Study Ezekiel 38. Well, actually go back to 36 because that's the reestablishment of Israel as a nation. And just as prophecy said they would be there, Israel would, would blossom again, which it has. You know, there are places in Israel that were barren desert that now just blossom with fruit trees and so forth. And everything that they prophesied to happen would happen. And now in Ezekiel 38, it talks about this war. They call it the War of Gog and Magog. And any of you who have a study Bible, you can look at the nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38, and it'll tell you what, what nations they are in today's you know, world, today's society. Every one of the nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38 that are going to come against Israel from the north have gathered Rosh, Mishash. Russia is in Syria. You know, Hamas, Iran is in Syria. I mean, all these nations are coming together. Turkey has gone to be a uh, Sharia state, you know, rather than being, they were secular for years and years and years, a Western state. Now they're completely under Sharia law. And they're also coming together. All these nations are gathered together to come against Israel. And there has to be some economic reason because it tells us they're coming in for the prize, for the reward. And how many of you have been watching the news where Israel just cut the largest natural gas deal ever in their history with European nations? They have permission to run a gas line to Europe, natural gas. And guess who they're cutting in on with that, if you follow the news at all? Russia. They're cutting in on Russia's prosperity by offering cheaper and more natural gas to Europe than Russia is. Everything is in play. Everything. Jesus Christ could come back for his church any time. And uh, Rich Hayward used to sing a song. We'll have to get him to sing it sometime again. And the name of it is, Are You Ready? Are we ready? If Jesus came today, are we ready? Now understand, being ready 
is not determined by your own righteousness and your own sticking to it and being a good person. Because none of us, all of our righteousness, Scripture tells us, is filthy rags in the presence of God. That those are the rags that are mentioned of rep, uh, wrapping the sores of lepers. That's what our righteousness is to God. But there is a righteousness from God that is not ours intrinsically, but it's imparted to us by the Holy Spirit, and that is what comes at salvation. Salvation is the simplest thing in the world for anyone to achieve. All you do is you go before the Lord and say, and I don't have a hard time saying this, brothers and sisters. I don't know about you. God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Please come into my heart by your Holy Spirit. Take over my life. Help me to walk in a love for you. I won't be perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. I'll fall, but help me love you. And guess what? The Lord does it. So we're, we're living, as Scripture says, in perilous times. You know, we're looking around and we're and seeing all the political issues and all those things that are going on, and it's taking all of our attention away from what's happening right in front of us. Jesus is still on the throne his word is 100% true, and he's coming back. Absolutely. And I felt like this was a proper introduction as we get into this portion of Exodus, because remember what Exodus was all about? The Jews were being taken from captivity in Egypt, and they were going to be taken into the promised land. You and I are in captivity of this world, and we are promised to be taken into the promised land. And the wonderful thing is about Christianity, if we die before the rapture occurs, we're going to beat everyone else there. <laughs> right? Dead in Christ, you rise first, we are less. And the fact is, our souls go right to be with the Lord at death. But, and we'll get into that, to that another time, but in First Thessalonians it makes it clear, he brings with them those who have fallen asleep, our souls and spirit. And then the bodies are raised and joined together, but we're the first in the air. So if you die before the rapture, Hallelujah. And um, you're still going to take part in it. In fact, you're going to be the first. It's going to be a, just so glorious. Um, okay, um, we're in Exodus 16, and we're going to be picking up with verse 27. And the first comment I make as we get into this is, what's wrong with collecting manna for a rainy day? Okay? Nothing unless it goes against God's command. And in this case, it did. God has a reason for all of his commands. And they're not all practical reasons. Some are just to encourage us in our obedience to him. The living God, because he is our hope, he is our treasure, and he is our passage to heaven. So there are some things the Lord gives us that he just gives us to do. Now, we're picking up in Ezekiel, Exodus, I'm sorry, Exodus 16, my mind's in Ezekiel, Exodus 16, verse 27. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather. Now, you remember from last week, they were told they were not to gather manna on the seventh day. On the sixth day, he would give them twice the amount, so that on the seventh day, the Sabbath, the Shabbat, they were not allowed to gather manna. But anyway, it says they went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. Oh, what a surprise. God gives a command, and they go out, and God fulfills his command, and they're surprised. 
And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Interesting here. Moses wasn't breaking the law. The people were. But who was held responsible? Moses. Because he was the leader. See, for the Lord has given you a Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place, his home. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The reason they didn't go to synagogue or go to the temple is because it wasn't constructed yet. And so, you know, today a lot of people say, I just worship God in my house. Well, there was a time when you did do that. But we'll move on to that a little bit later. Verse 31. And the house of Israel called its name, in other words, the substance that came down from heaven, manna. Manna is Hebrew for what is it? Because remember when they first saw it, they said, what is it? And the Lord said, exactly, (laughs) manna. And it was uh, like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Doesn't that sound good? Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord. It's interesting because remember when they took manna that they didn't use what happened? Do you remember last week? Yeah, it got filled with worms and it stank. But this manna didn't because it was commanded of the Lord. Uh, to be kept for generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the, the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. In the wilderness, there was nothing. There were no plants, there were no fruit trees, there, there were nothing. So the Lord provided. But when it came to a place where there was something, where they could plant and they could, you know, harvest crops and they could take care of cattle, the Lord no longer fed them. So when it is our responsibility, the Lord gives us our responsibility. But there are times that he intercedes supernaturally when we can't take care of ourselves for whatever the reason might be. And they ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. See, at that point, they're coming to fertile land. Now, an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. And you're probably thinking, how much is that? It's about two quarts. Okay? Now, the Sabbath, or the Shabbat, was given before the law. Moses hadn't written the law yet. In fact, it goes all the way back to creation. But the Sabbath was given for that reason. And the Sabbath was for the purpose. It wasn't meant to be a burden. It was a present to people, that they might rest from all their labors and have a time to build themselves up and and to worship the Lord. It was meant to be a blessing. That's why in in Exodus uh, 16, 22, and it says, Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the Sabbath rest, is the Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And as I mentioned, we get this from Genesis chapter 2 and verses 2 through 3, and it's in Uh, That portion says this, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. 
So when God finished his work, now God didn't rest because like, oh man, I'm really, I mean, God doesn't get tired. He rested. In other words, his work was completed. It's done now. And then he rested from it and he set it aside for man to be a Sabbath that he might rest. Now, something I want to show you that's very interesting and it relates to why the Sabbath is now uh, celebrated on Sunday, the first day of the week, okay? So go to Exodus chapter 12. You're you're in Exodus right now. Go back to chapter 12. And a lot of people miss this when they read it. Exodus chapter 12 and go to verse 16. Exodus 12, 16. Okay, Exodus, uh, Exodus 16, uh, 12, 16. Exodus 12, starting with verse 16. On the first day, there should be a holy convocation. What's the first day of the week? Sunday, okay? And on the seventh day, there should be a holy convocation, okay? What is the seventh day? Saturday. For you, no manner of work shall be done on them, both those days, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. And so when we go home, it's okay to prepare a meal, in other words. But do you notice, back in Exodus, it's laying the groundwork for two Sabbaths. You have the seventh-day Sabbath, um, which, you know, is Saturday. And then you have the Sabbath or the Holy Convocation that's on the first day, which is Sunday. Sunday's the first day of the week. So you have both of them listed there. And so now, why was the Sabbath changed to Sunday? First, we have to remember that the purpose of the Sabbath was related to Jesus's, for Jesus Christ's completed work, right? Who created the heavens and the earth? Who created the heavens and the earth as far as the Godhead is concerned? Jesus Christ. Through him all things were created. Nothing was created that was not created through him. Jesus Christ is the creator. And so Jesus Christ, after he created everything and his work was done, what did he do? He rested. And that was the Sabbath that was, you know, lived by all, um, you know, faithful people up until the time of Christ's resurrection from the dead. Now, When Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God, he completed another huge burden of work, the work of our redemption. Through Jesus Christ, we are born again. We are saved. We are going to heaven. And so he rested. He established that as the Sabbath for the believer in him. Because on that day, it's a celebration of his completed work. And I'll just share a few scriptures with you to help you um, um, understand it. In, in Luke 24, 1 through 5, For on the first day of the week, the first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared to prepare his body. They figured he was still lying dead in the tomb. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men 
angels stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the ground, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus Christ is not dead. He's not a dead sacrifice. He's a living sacrifice, which allows him to be the one who has completed the work of our redemption. When an animal sacrifice was given, it was thrown outside the city. The carcass was dead. It was over with. It was a one-time sacrifice. Jesus Christ is living. He's at the right hand of God the Father for the purpose of making continuous intercession for the saints, for you and I. He's a living sacrifice. His work's done. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. His work's complete. How absolutely amazing is that? But you notice... When he rose, they went to the tomb on the first day of the week. Again, in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 1. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. In the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 17, then the same day at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, there were the disciples assembled. For what purpose? to worship the Lord, to celebrate his resurrection. In Acts of the Apostles, chapter 20, verse 7, now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be, may be no collection when I come. And then this also became known as the Lord's Day. You'll find a number of scripture that refers to this first day of the week as the Lord's Day. In Revelation chapter 1 and verses 10 and 11, John, the, the apostle, the one who wrote the revelation uh, as inspired and given by the word of God personally, in Revelation 1 10, it said, and 11, it says this, I was in the spirit on the Lord's Day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. The very reason that you're here today is because you love the Lord's Day. You love the Lord's Shabbat, the Lord's Sabbath. You love the fact that his work has been completed on our behalf, that we have eternal life. We're here because we love Jesus, and it's such a wonderful day. And remember what Jesus said about the Sabbath in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Then in verse 28, therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And so keeping the Lord's Day is some, not some kind of a strict, legalistic, you know, works kind of thing that we have to do. Well, Sunday I better get to church or I'm going to hell. No, that's not what it's about at all. The Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift. We get to come here and to learn about the ways of God, to study and to, you know, take his word into our heart and to recognize the times in which we're living and the excitement that we have as believers. So keeping the Lord's Day, you know what, is just awesome. And it is also a responsibility, the Lord's Day is a responsibility that has been placed on myself and Pastor Frank Jr., did you know that? We have a special responsibility for the Lord's Day. And here's what it tells us in Ephesians. Why don't you turn here? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians. New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4, and go to verse 11. 
What did Jesus said, say? He said, I'm the word. And he said, my word is truth. So if we want to know about Jesus, if we want to know what God intends for us, we study the word. Do you know the Bible is the most amazing book in the world? It has, has had more groups and people try to disprove it than any other book of history. And they've never been able to. It's absolutely amazing. Ephesians 4, go to verse 11. And these are gifts that God is giving to the church. And in, and in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about, and some pastors and teachers. Now, in the Greek, pastors and teachers is a hyphenated word. In other words, pastor teacher is one person. Pastor is a teacher. What, for what reason? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to be a perfect man, to the measure of the status of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. So, our responsibility as pastors is to equip you, to equip you by the Word of God so that you're not fooled by all kinds of trickery. You know, we had uh, co-op, and I was sharing with the, 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 the kids in co-op, and uh, it, it's, you know, this isn't any big deal. You're not going to go to hell or anything like that, but it's just I was making a point. Like I said to the kids, how did Mary, you know, uh, get to Bethlehem on a donkey, they said doesn't say that in the Bible. I mean, most common people, they walked everywhere they went. And uh, where was Mary laid? Or where did Mary and Joseph go to have the baby? Because there's no room in the inn. And they said, oh, the manger. And I said, or the, you know, the stable. I said, what was the stable like? Oh, it was this nice wooden structure like we have under our tree. I said, no, it was a cave, a stone. And what about the manger that they laid Jesus in? Well, we have one of those too. They're wood, you know. And I said, no, it was also stone. I've actually seen mangers with my own eyes in Israel and the caves where uh, people would have stayed. And I said, um, how many wise men were there? Well, there were, there were three. And I said, we don't know. It doesn't tell us. It just says they brought gifts of gold, uh, frankincense, and myrrh, which were the normal gifts you brought to a king. So there could have been a hundred wise men bringing those gifts. We don't know. And where did the wise men go? Well, they went to the stable, to the manger, to see Jesus. No, the Bible tells us they went to his house, and he was about two years old at that time. Now, if you didn't know that, it doesn't mean, I'm going to hell because I didn't know that. I'm not talking about that. That has nothing to do with my point. A lot of us have these erroneous things that we believe. The point I'm making is, know the word of God. Because these things, like, you know, the wise men going to the, to the manger, that's harmless. But there are other teachings that come into the church that are dangerous, and people don't catch it because they don't know the Word of God. And that's why we're, we're called Berean Calvary Chapel. Acts 17.11, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with all eagerness, but daily examined the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. So a Berean isn't so, is someone who doesn't just say, okay, whatever you say, I'll believe it. I'm going to check it out, make sure it's in the Word of God. And I expect you to check me out to make sure it's the Word of God. 
So anyway, um, in order for Pastor Frank and I to be teachers and also to be able to instruct you and to equip you for the works of ministry and so forth, um, you have to be in class. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, how many of you would go up to your college professor and say, you know what, I've learned nothing this year or this semester. And your college professor says, you've only been to class three times. Well, it doesn't make any difference. I should just know this stuff. Well, no, you go to class in order to learn these things. And so the Lord has set what we call, you know, our church fellowship for the purpose of Frank and I, Pastor Frank and I, to equip you for the works of ministry. And um, look at what it says. Um, There are what are called pastoral epistles. In other words, they're epistles that were written to pastors. And Second Timothy, First and Second Timothy are pastoral epistles. And here's what Second Timothy 2.15 says. It's speaking to pastors. Be diligent to present yourself approved of God, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We, we have a responsibility, Pastor Frank and I, to be equipped to study that when we come here we're presenting to you the word of truth that you might be equipped for works of ministry you know church is a gift from god as a time that we can come together to worship him to be instructed in his word and to have fellowship with one another all those components are so beautiful when they come together in the gospel of john well, let me read Hebrews first. In Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and it says this. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Talking to believers, let us consider one another how we can stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of, of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day's approaching. That's what I was sharing with you at the beginning. All the more we need to come together and encourage one another in the Lord. Then in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 32 through 35, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Remember, in the, in, in the wilderness, the children of Israel ate the bread, the manna, and in order to sustain their physical life. But Jesus now is talking about something that sustains our spiritual life, that gives us eternal life. Verse 34, they cried back to him, Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. <clears throat> He's all we need. He's our manna. Everything we need to sustain life is from him. Because Jesus kept pointing to the the people to what they needed. And what they needed was him. What they needed was to be sustained. You know, all of us have been delivered from Egypt in a spiritual sense, when we're saved, when we're born again, right? We're delivered out of the bondage of this world and sin and Satan. But the fact is, the children of Israel were never meant to wander in the wilderness as their lifestyle, as their, for, their, for their whole life, which most of them did. They died in the wilderness. They were meant 
to go into the wilderness in order to be prepared to enter into the promised land. So when you and I are first saved, we're pulled out of the grip of Satan, this world, you know, and, and all the evil that is surrounding us, and we're placed into the wilderness on our way to enter into all the promises of God. Because you know as a new believer, you don't know anything. I'm saved, I know I'm saved, praise God. And I just kind of wandering around. Well, then you have someone, they had Moses, we have the Word of God that leads us into the place of promise, leads us into the promised land, leads us into that place where by the Holy Spirit we have full fellowship with God to worship Him, to serve Him, to love Him. What a delightful thing it is when all of a sudden a hunger for His Word mounts up within you again. Pray for it. God's faithful. He'll do it. Because his word is the manna that gives us life. You know, we have to understand that the whole purpose that God gave in placing manna in the pot and and placed it before the testimony was a reminder that he's the one who provides. Now, when Moses was given all the instructions to build the tabernacle in the wilderness, which was an exact copy of the one in heaven, think about that, and they built the Ark of the Covenant, what did they put in the Ark of the Covenant? Anyone know what they put in the Ark of the Covenant? Ten Commandments, and what else? Moses, the rod, the budded, and pot of manna. Why? As a reminder that God alone supplies and do we need to be reminded that Jesus alone supplies all our needs? If we really believed that Jesus is the one who provides all our needs, we wouldn't be seeking after anything else. Now, I'm not talking about sitting around and just being a believer. No, you've got to go to work. I mean, in fact, there are many scriptures that talk about the fact that we're supposed to be hard and good workers and this and that. But what I'm talking about is when people are looking for something besides Jesus. Jesus plus. Well, I want to have Jesus, but I also want to have whatever, you know, the the new fad might be that's going around. Jesus is all we need for our spiritual walk, for our relationship with him. You don't have to read the latest book. You don't have to watch the latest movie. Not that any of those are bad or negative, but you don't need those. What you need is right here, the Word of God, to study yourself and show yourself approved. Now, manna, of course, we're going to find, can be made into many things. It could be boiled. It could be fried. It could be kneaded into bread. It could be made into manicotti. That's, that's a joke. <laughs> but my point is, manna could be made into anything. And the point of that is, Jesus can provide every need that we have. You need Jesus for this, he's there. You need Jesus for this, he's there. You need Jesus for this, he's there. And the reason I'm sharing this with all of you is to understand, as believers, we have to come to a place where we really let go of all of our own efforts, of all of our own exhaustion in trying to prove ourselves to be righteous and true and to be seeking after this and that 
to find fulfillment and just say, Jesus, you're all I need. Jesus, you're enough. And maybe there are some here this morning that don't know Jesus yet. It's nothing to be ashamed of. I didn't come to the Lord till I was 31. But the fact is, it's a wonderful thing to come to the Lord because in Him only do we have eternal life. And so we're going to do something we normally don't do, and we're going to sing a closing uh, song, hymn, whatever we call it. And while we're singing this, if there are any of you who want to just come up here, I'm going to be standing singing with you, just come up here and sit in the front, sit by me or whatever, and just for me to pray with you about any of these things, I encourage you to do that. And if you want to just stay in your seat and just work things out between you and the Lord, that's fine too. There's never any pressure. There shouldn't be any pressure to do anything. But as we sing this last uh, song, really pay attention to the words. We're going to you know, do it on the screen like we do. Really pay attention to the words. And then when we're through, I'll close us in prayer. So why don't we stand together as a body?
in prayer and then um, anyone still who would like to come forward uh, to, to be prayed for to be encouraged uh, Pastor Frank and I can meet with you up front here and uh, provide whatever we can Father we come before you in Jesus name we thank you for your word we thank you for the truth that we find in it and the salvation and the guarantee that we have of eternal life by the Holy Spirit and now I pray Father that we, we would receive all of your word in our heart and that you would dismiss us, Lord, with your blessing, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.